everybody and welcome to this month's edition of the Social Wave Project podcast. My name is Sarah Francis but everyone calls me Sez and once a month I upload podcast episodes interviewing people based on things that they believe in and raising awareness. So in this month's podcast we are joined by an amazing person from a very amazing organization and even though I've never heard it before I know they are doing amazing things at the moment and surprisingly this interview has been highly requested so we're going to hand over to my guest for this month Dr D Elizabeth Kilmer that's how you pronounce it right Elizabeth yeah so my name is Dr Elizabeth Kilmer I am a clinical psychologist located in uh, the Seattle Washington area uh, in the United States and I work with game to grow which is a nonprofit organization that believes in the use of games of all kinds for community educational and individual growth Oh, really? Because I know that um, I have been following your work, uh, really. And uh, I know that Adam Davis, who is, I would say he was the founder of Game to Grow. Yeah, so um, we have two founders. So Adam Davis and Adam Johns, the Adams, uh, are the founder of Game to Grow. They were working together as part of a, um, uh, uh, like a private practice. Uh, doing work for using tabletop role-playing games and therapy for a while. And then they wanted to make sure that more people had access to this work, that they were able to reach more individuals. And the best way that they found they were able to do that was through forming a nonprofit. So that's where Game to Grow came about. And that's a, a, like a really incredible to have that because um, there have been so many um, interesting uh, role-playing uh, games recently. I know for one, I know a few people who are doing it already. And then I've got a few people who are very interested at the moment, uh, just because um, I, it keeps popping about my social media. But when I found a game to grow, it, I, I just really couldn't believe of all the work they do. And I know that in the interview, we would definitely like to know more about it. and Adam's been very generous really to like organize the whole interview really oh absolutely uh the both Adams are uh, amazing and super friendly and again their their goal was very much to get to kind of spread this word and the and the kind of education and training around using tabletop role-playing games and other games like Magic the Gathering for therapeutic purposes thrill so i uh, will go jumping into the questions uh, because uh, i know that um the person who um requested to do this video has helped me actually write these questions i, I really want to say this person's safe but uh, he's decided to remain anonymous at the moment but um yeah so uh, we did like this questions together so it's basically teamwork and um i, I think what we had to write and discuss about is that we were interested about how how Games to Grow supports mainly for people uh, who have autism and various special needs, but mostly autism, because that's mm -hmm. where Games to Grow targets at, doesn't it? Yeah, so Game to Grow, um, and we can, we can talk about this a little bit more, has developed kind of Critical Core, which is a kind of a gaming system that is based off of D&D's kind of fifth edition rules to help kind of, I did, primarily help individuals with autism um, in supporting kind of development of social skills and social social flourishing is what we talk about. So like really um, helping support kind of confidence, helping support positive interactions with other people so that, that people feel more comfortable advocating for their needs, being able to engage in genuine real relationships with other people, which is something that a lot of individuals struggle with, not just individuals with autism. Um, so Game to Grow absolutely helps a lot of individuals. Um, 
with autism, we also see people who have diagnoses of ADHD, um, anxiety, depression, and trauma are really, really common diagnoses as well. Um, anything that basically can, can inhibit us from being able to communicate with others, being able to form kind of meaningful relationships with others. Oftentimes we might talk about kind of lagging or delayed or atrophied social skills, meaning that for some reason, people have a harder time connecting with other individuals. Now that doesn't mean that they have an inherent lack of an ability to connect. That, that's not what we're talking about. This is more around maybe individuals who had really negative experiences with other people. They like walked up to someone to try and make friends with them. And that person said, you're a dork and I'm not hanging out with you. If that kind of thing happens repeatedly or repeatedly told that the way that we are, the way that we engage in the world is too much or annoying, um, it can make it really hard for us to want to connect with people because our brain is going to tell us eh, that's dangerous you should just avoid that I definitely agree with this one and um, I know that um, I've been introduced to like so many role-playing games and I always found that um, even though I find things a bit difficult um, people have told me it's very very simple really when you play the the the, any role-playing games really and um the most the one I've been stuck into was um Dungeons and Dragons apparently <laughs> and um I I never heard of Dungeons and Dragons until a few years ago but I found that was really interesting but I did struggle a little bit because my mathematical skills are very poor but um it, yeah, uh, it was really good uh, just to know about that because it's always got a mixture in between <laughs> absolutely and uh so Dungeons and Dragons is, is probably one of the most well-known tabletop role-playing games it's kind of like the Kleenex of tabletop role-playing games. Uh, it's not the only one, but it, it is something. It is one that's really popular and pretty well known. And you're right. Uh, so D and D can, and other tabletop role-playing games can challenge some of these skills that we might not engage with that often, right? So things like mathematics. And the amazing thing about tabletop role-playing games is how um, how much that they can be shifted or adapted to make them as accessible as possible. For example, a lot in a lot of my games, um, uh, we will use uh, uh, Roll20, which is a, a, an online platform, or D&D Beyond, which is a character management platform. And that can actually take a lot of the numeracy out, right? I can click a button and it rolls, it'll roll a die for me and it'll add those numbers. Now that's not always beneficial, right? It's I like playing with, with physical dice and for some individuals getting to work on some of those uh, mathematics skills can actually be really helpful. Um, but if that's something that's keeping you from getting in the game because you're like, oh, well, I'm not good at math. Um, you, you don't need to be good at math to play. You don't need to be uh, good at character voices. You don't need to be someone who considers themselves creative to be able to engage in this game. You don't have to dress up. You don't, you can walk in and say, okay, I have this character that my friend made for me. You don't even have to make your own character. You can get, get a pre-made one online. I have this game or I have this, this character that is made for me and I'm going to, to just narrate what this character does. I'm going to tell you what this character does in the world. Uh, or you might say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to try and play as this character. Maybe that's just me speaking as the character instead of as myself, or maybe that's me trying out some, some different ways to modulate my voice so that it's very distinct to the way that my character speaks versus the way that I speak. That's it. That's exactly really. And this is tr trying to find it like in, you, you'll actually try to go into the fantasy world really oh by the way um there's a helicopter going on so i'm going to try and like speak clearly but uh, in the other words of this meaning is that when you look at things 
you tend to think that you're pretending you are a different person. And I know with like, it's simple within the performing arts industry, it's the same thing. But it, it's really interesting to see how far it has definitely come really, especially uh, with Dungeons and Dragons. It's popped up in like very, very popular shows like Futurama and I'm guessing The Simpsons, I think, but I'm not really too sure. I'm I, not I think- confident about The Simpsons. I know that it, is, it has popped up. Um, Rick and Morty actually has a D&D module. Um, there's the, so that has, has absolutely been there. Their uh, tabletop role-playing games broadly have seen this massive resurgence in the last couple of years. So in the 80s, we had um, in the US primarily uh, what's called known as like the Satanic Panic, which is this idea that um, kind of role-playing games and, and Magic the Gathering cards, like all of these things were going to kind of pull people away from religion. They were going to pull people towards the devil. Um, we saw a similar kind of um, panic and concern around, for example, rock and roll. Um, and so we did see this kind of uh, suppression of tabletop role-playing games because of this concern that they were going to drive people into these kind of antisocial or asocial spaces, which kind of shows a little bit of a fundamental misunderstanding about what tabletop role-playing games are because tabletop role-playing games are things that you play with other human beings whether that is through the computer um, so a lot of the games during the pandemic have been uh, online or whether it is around the table we're playing with other people Uh, a a great kind of just snapshot example of what this might look like actually comes from from the Netflix show Stranger Things you've got this great group of friends that are playing D&D together and you can see obviously Stranger Things takes <laughs> takes elements of what might be coming from D&D and, and makes it big and massive, but um, this is a group of friends that are engaging in this imaginative collaborative storytelling game together, right? They're not, um, this is part of how their friendship builds. This is part of how they um, start to grow and understand each other more uh, and how they connect as people. This is not individuals who are engaged in solitary activities, such as playing a one-player video game or reading a book. Uh, it's something that you're, you're doing with other people. Oh yeah, definitely. It's definitely great to see in, in the, in the media and then in the environmental settings as well, especially during the, the, the tough times really with COVID with uh, when it comes to social distancing and all of that. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think we've missed out on the question. So I think we might move on to, to the questions. And um, I, I know that uh, we talked a little bit about it because I know you, um, that you said you evolved in Game to Grow, but I don't know if you mentioned it earlier, but you know me, I tend to forget things. <laughs> so um, i what is your involvement um, for Game to Grow? Oh, that is a great question. So I am our director of education and training with Game to Grow. So I uh, run some groups as well. So I have actually had the opportunity to run tabletop role-playing games used therapeutically uh, with ages eight through 86. So obviously the eight-year-old and the 86-year-old are not in the same group, but I have run a lot of groups. Um, so I've run a fair amount of groups at Game to Grow. I've also run groups uh, with military veterans, with uh, in community mental health centers, with individuals who've experienced uh, childhood trauma, uh, as well as in private practice. Uh, I'm actually one of the developers of the Game to Grow Method of therapeutically, therapeutically Applied Role-Playing Games, uh, and I, I head up our training program. So we have a comprehensive training program in Therapeutically Applied Role-Playing Games, or TRPGs, for educators, for mental health professionals, as well as for community members. So a lot of my job is getting to train people in our model. If you are, uh, if you know a lot about 
uh, tabletop RPGs and you know a lot about therapy and group therapy, um, then there's no reason that you can't necessarily run TRPG games. And our model and our method is very much designed to help people um, get on kind of this, this starting place to continue to expand and grow the field beyond that. So it's a great place for people to really get comfortable and understanding of um, kind of the ways in which we have merged these uh, established therapeutic practices with tabletop role-playing games. Ah, definitely. And um, I know it was like further down, but I wanted to jump on to the next question. Mm -hmm. And because um, I know you've mentioned about like uh, different groups and all of that, but how would you say, and this is especially during the pandemic as well, how do you think playing games helps people who have had learning difficulties or special needs as well as autism, or might normally find socializing uh, socializing hard under normal circumstances? It's a great question. Um, and there's a couple of different things. So I think um, in the pandemic, a lot of our games are online. And I will say um, I'm, a, I'm a pretty social person. I definitely describe myself as an extrovert. Uh, and so the pandemic and the kind of lockdowns have been kind of challenging. And I will say D&D has translated online more, has translated better to online than like most other activities. Um, in part because of the kind of structure in the game. And this is one of the reasons why uh, tabletop RPGs specifically can be really helpful for individuals who may have a harder time engaging in kind of casual conversation with people or engaging in ambiguous social situations. Tabletop RPGs like D&D create this framework for communication and this framework for engaging. So oftentimes if we are meeting up at a pub or we are meeting up at a coffee shop, there's there are these kind of like social expectations of how we're supposed to act, but there's a lot of ambiguity about who goes first and how long you're supposed to talk versus how long the other person is supposed to talk versus what topics you're supposed to be talking about. There's a lot of focus on kind of nonverbal communication and also being able to pay attention to the environment that's happening around you. That's a lot that can be really, really overwhelming, especially if you're an individual who might also have some sensory needs. Um, or sensory challenges that are going on on top of that. So if we take everything online, right, I now have a lot more control over my environment. I can control the volume that you are coming through my speakers. I can have fidgets if I need them. I can stim in a way that is not necessarily going to be noticeable for you. I can turn my camera on and off. I don't have to make eye contact with you. I can make eye contact with a robot that is my that is my webcam. Um, so that like that control of the environment for online communication already can provide a whole lot of supports. Um, now, if we're talking about tabletop role-playing games, we're taking out a lot of the amb ambiguity of just a uh, kind of casual social meetup or like talking by the water cooler at work, because I understand that I'm playing as a character. We are all playing as this character. We're all on the same side. This is a collaborative game. My game master, my dungeon master is controlling the world, but they also have kind of a set of expectations and rules. Um, when we are engaged in combat, we're probably going to be taking turns. That's going to be really clear when I'm in combat. I have an understanding of what I can do because there's a list on my character sheet, but I also can come up with really creative out of the box thinking. So there's more flexibility than there would be in a video game, because if I have to, uh, if I, if I run into this giant monster, I can try and fight it. I can try and negotiate with it. I can try and talk to it. I can try and sneak around it. 
I can try and like tunnel under it. Uh, so there's tons of options that I can come up with. So it's this really nice interplay of providing enough, enough structure that every run around the table has a better understanding of what's going on and what's supposed to be happening with this underlying expectation that we're all on the same team, we're all on the same side and we're moving forward together. So it can reduce some of the ambiguity as well as provide some supports for us then to be able to engage in this really fun and creative space. Additionally, since a lot of the engagement is happening in this fantasy space, um, sometimes when I maybe made a mistake and I didn't understand what was happening or I misread social cues, a lot of that can be played through my character, which does not mean that I'm just like not taking, I'm not taking accountability for my actions, but if my character makes a misstep, that often creates a little bit more space between me and my character. And so I'm able to say, oh, my character did not understand that the rest of the party was really mad at them. But because that was my character and not me, I'm probably going to be a little bit less distressed by that. And so I'm going to be able to engage that kind of logical and rational part of my brain that turns off in every human when we're distressed um, and, and be able to, to try and repair or shift or move forward or learn from that experience. Yes, definitely. Because by the way you said that, Elizabeth, it made me think of like the first ever game I played, which uh, wasn't Dungeons and Dragons, but it was Pathfinder. Mm -hmm. And um, with Pathfinder, I had to make up like this character who was half elfling, half person. And I remember thinking that I was pretending to be that person, but it was really funny to think about it because um, not only it, I had to make the character sound different, I had to um, make her story quite different as well. And I could always remember that the very first session that I did, I I somehow in the middle of nowhere, I found out that I had to like got to do something with the character. So I ended up doing a very deep voice, even though she's a girl, just saying like, hello. <laughs> quite fun as well to actually play in a group really and I know mm -hmm. that sometimes from what uh, the experience was some groups are like limited um about like to five to six people but then also mm -hmm. it depends on the environmental setting because um um in the UK um there's this cafe called the D20 cafe that is in Watford in Hertfordshire and mm -hmm. um it's got a very brilliant environmental setting because um even though it's a games cafe they run like Dungeons and Dragons sessions I think every Thursday and it's amazing to see that most role-playing game stuff is open to anyone everywhere really but uh, it, it's always like a shame that it's, I wouldn't say it, it was like not very well known but it, I think role-playing games they're under underestimated are they is that the right word Underestimated. yeah I'll go with that yeah, I would say that the role-playing games are absolutely underestimated in terms of like how beneficial they are and, and how um, engaging they can be and how great they can be to build community. And I'm really excited that we're starting to see more and more role-playing games become more popular, more people knowing about them, more celebrities openly talking about playing role-playing games, because I, I do think that helps to kind of get the messaging out that this is something that can be really helpful and beneficial. And um, especially when I played with older adults, I mentioned I've I've um, run games for ages eight through 86. Uh, a lot of the older adults that I've played with have had very limited to no experience with kind of fantasy or with, with games, which is, which is not inherent of every older adult ever. Um, but 
being able to have this space where you can join and you don't necessarily have to have read a bunch of books or seen a bunch of movies. You don't have to, to play D&D, you don't have to read the whole rule book. Um, depending on your, your game master, many game masters can have someone who's never played before hand them a character sheet and have them playing within 10 minutes. Um, that's again, not going to be every game master, not going to be every table, but that the kind of, I think one of the big barriers we can see to people playing role-playing games is this like, oh, I have to know all of the stuff and I have to have all this equipment. And that's not necessarily true. A lot of game stores will have this opportunity where anybody can come in and they'll have kind of nights for beginners where you can come in, you're handed a character sheet and you get to just experience what the game could be like for you to get a little bit of uh, experience playing. Oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, funny you should mention about celebrities because the next question, and um, that there was an actual celebrity, but I really couldn't pronounce his name right, but I'm going to try to because I know that um, um, th there are so many celebrities that I don't know, but the other person does. So with celebrities like Joe Mangan Mangello, I think I got it, Joe Mangello, and YouTube shows like Critical Role bringing tabletop gaming to the mainstream. How would you say this has affected game to grow? So I would say um, that celebrities playing uh, tabletop role playing games broadly is a good thing. Um, and I'm not going to speak to every single celebrity, and I, I will be honest, I don't watch a lot of um, celebrities play D&D, I play a lot of D&D for, for my work, so it doesn't, um, when I'm doing it in my free time, I'm usually playing it for myself, um, but I will say like critical, critical role especially has been something that has been really beneficial, celebrities playing D&D um, and Pathfinder and, and other games is really helpful because it helps individuals kind of see what games can look like. Now, I would say that the, obviously the potential downside is if people, celebrities who are jerks play D&D, then that's not good. Um, celebrities who are jerks doing anything that everyone else likes is not always a, a beneficial thing for the, the general field and space. Um, but aside from that, the, the only kind of other potential downside is it's this place in which it can create an, an expectation that you have to be as good as one of those celebrities at being an actor to be able to play D&D. So I will often recommend when people are saying, oh man, I want to get into game mastering or I want to get into playing. I will say like, go listen to a podcast, uh, go watch some YouTube videos of people playing, especially if you can find a podcast or a YouTube video of people that you care about, that you find interesting playing. That's a great place to start. Um, I learned how, like a, a lot, before I started playing D&D with my friends, I listened to the Acking podcast and I, it was awesome. And I, I learned a lot about it. It was, it was really great. And, um, I'm not a professional actor. I'm not, I am pretty good and I'm pretty creative and I am fun and I have a ton of fun in my games, but I'm not a professional actor. And so I'm not going to have a D and D experience that looks exactly like that podcast or looks exactly like that YouTube video. The other piece is it's really important to think about who your audience is. Um, so when I am playing D&D &D on a stream, when I'm playing D&D &D for uh, a podcast, um, so especially thinking about things like Critical Role, when they're playing D&D, they absolutely care about having a good time, but they're also very aware that they are performing for an audience. And so what D&D &D looks like when it is performed for an audience versus what D&D &D looks like when it is 
people at a game store having fun or friends getting together on the weekend to play D&D for five hours, the goal is going to look a little bit different. The goal for a podcast or um, a stream show is often performance for the audience, the primary goal. The primary goal for when we are playing just for fun is for us as a whole group to have fun. And the primary goal for a therapeutic group is going to be kind of growth, um, growth and, and focusing on the goals for the players themselves. And so it's important, just like when we're consuming any other media for us to really be thinking about what is the message I'm supposed to get from this. And oftentimes the message we're supposed to be getting from games like critical role is tabletop role-playing games are fun and you can engage in them, but the message is not that your game should look like this. Oh yeah, definitely. Because um, from the way that you described that, there's another show that um, I watched recently and um, it's called Community. And for those who don't know Community, it's by the same guy who actually um, created Rick and Morty as well. And I know that um, Dungeons and Dragons and role-playing games um, were featured a lot on the show, the, the Community. And there were a few actors, including, what's that guy's name? Uh, Chavy Chase I want to say and um, uh, from the way that he actually performed because um, it, it's so difficult when you are acting in a scene and then mm -hmm. when you actually play in a game at the same time it must be really hard and then uh, I the reason why I picked Chavy Chase uh, for this is because that I always tend to find his character is like he wants to join in, but he has little patience to know on how the game works. And I'm wondering in that sense, if it's a struggle a little bit with some of the people. Yeah, so I actually just started watching Community and I'm only a couple of episodes in, so I have not actually seen Chevy Chase play uh, d, &D. I, haven't, I haven't seen the D&D come up in the show yet, um, but I'm, I'm on my way there, so I'll get there. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that challenges that people have broadly are absolutely going to show up in any game that they play. Um, and I watched enough of the show to know that his character uh, will often get frustrated and have a hard time. Um, and that's not going to disappear because it comes into the game. So if you are someone who, for example, really wants to be right or really wants to totally understand everything that's going on in the scenario, then just like any other skill or any other practice, it's going to take a little bit for you to get in the game. If I start running and I want to be able to run six miles, I don't go and try and run six miles on my first day. If I'm um, practicing an instrument, I just started trying to learn the guitar, for example. Um, there are a lot of songs that I want to play and I know like three chords. I know four chords. I know four chords. I can play two songs. Each require two chords. And I, I get frustrated after a while because it's not sounding the way I know it's supposed to sound or I'm not able to move my fingers fast enough. And that's a normal part of that learning process, right? That frustration is telling me I care about this and I need to keep working on it. So it can be a problem if that frustration turns into, oh, I'm a useless person. I should just never try and play the guitar, right? That would be problematic if that's kind of where my brain went. I'd want to, I'd want to touch base with those thoughts and work on that. Um, yeah, people are absolutely, there are absolutely people who will get frustrated, um, who have, who have, who have some of those challenges, um, in part because that's what they're experiencing in real life. And I will say that D&D is a great place to get to work on those challenges because you get to have this fantasy space, you get to have these characters. So you have a little bit more space. If I'm working on the guitar and I'm getting really frustrated, it's just me and the guitar. But if I'm playing D&D or I'm playing Pathfinder, then I'm playing as a character. And so sometimes that character can hold some of that frustration, which gives me a little bit of space from it. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. I couldn't really agree more. And then um, I was wondering, and this was part of one of the questions I've written, because uh, I know, like you said before, Elizabeth, there were so many people who joined in the group. But I am very curious to know, is there any successful story? Uh, no, is there any successful story you would like to share? Yeah, so um I have a bunch of, a bunch of stories. Um, but I will I will talk about a story that has happened in one of my groups recently. So I had a player who um so this is a therapeutically applied uh applied group. This is specifically a, a therapeutic social skills group. Um so this is a, a group that had um like 10 to 12 year olds in it. And sometimes participants will come in and they will have specific goals like hey I really want to work on making friends or I really want to work on communicating better or I really want to work on impulsivity and sometimes players will come in and they just want to play the game they're not really sure what their goals are and that's also totally fine this particular participant um uh I've had them for a a couple of quarters and they came in and they said you know what I kind of want to work on impulsivity because my character keeps getting in trouble because they keep like setting off traps and stuff and that uh, that causes problems because then my character gets knocked out sometimes. Um, they don't die. So most, most I, I don't do player de- or character death unless there's like really good reason and there's consent involved and all of that. Like I don't just rampantly kill off characters. I think that's problematic. Um, but like you, your character can go down to zero hit points and then we have to like figure out how to like get your character back to being conscious again. Uh, and so they said, you know what? I, I want to work on, on impulsivity. And this was a character, this is a, a player whose character regularly just like ran into every scenario, regardless of whether or not the other characters were like, wait, hold on a second. Or if that scenario had like basically neon signs saying, this is a terrible idea. Do not go in this direction. <laughs> so at this point, um, the character has been kind of, the player has, is working on impulsivity kind of through their character. Um, they have already managed to be knocked out three times in the seven weeks we've been playing since they they kind of made this goal so we're which is normal we're like building this right um and they get to this this portal and this portal is like like purple and there's like it's like looks kind of creepy and it's really cold in this room and it's dark in this room and there's this like creepy voice coming out of the portal right it has all of the hallmarks of you probably shouldn't go in this portal (laughs) <laughs> probably a bad idea there are four there are four players in this group three characters went like running into the portal basically one after the other one went through uh they they didn't come out for a minute another one went through and then the the fourth player the one who had said i really want to work on impulsivity was like my character is gonna wait and see what happens which is huge, especially because the other three players have had their characters basically just run into that portal immediately. And to no one's surprise, um, those players got spit out of the portal. They had been changed into these monstrous shapes. We then had to figure out how to like change them back. They had to fight enemies. It was a whole big mess. Um, And this player got to reflect on like, everybody else acted impulsively in that moment and I didn't. I didn't act impulsively. Now, does that mean that car- that person's never going to be impulsive ever again? Absolutely not. But the goal is not to eliminate or eradicate impulsivity. The goal is to create a little bit more awareness, to create a little bit more insight so that I can say, oh man, I really want to run in that portal. 
but you know what? I think that might be a bad idea. I think I want to gather more information first, right? Like they got to make the intentional choice of, I'm not going to have my, my character run through that portal because I think it might end poorly. And uh, it did end poorly for everyone else who ran through that portal. So I, I love running these groups and that that's kind of a fun example of how we're getting to see that change over time. Um, now, part of the reason that change happened is that earlier in this particular dungeon, they encountered a skeleton covered with this like yellow mold that oh. looked like it might just poof up in any moment. You know how those like some mold sometimes does that. And this, this player said, I run for, and I stick my hand in the mold. Oh, wow. So the mold exploded and then they rolled a constitution check and then they um, were very damaged and then they went unconscious right so like they've had kind of experiences with the game of like what happens but the nice thing is because this is a fantasy phase we get to say things like oh man your character ran for it and they touched that mold and now they are unconscious what do you think your character like would have been thinking in that moment before they fell unconscious instead of saying oh man you uh you ran forward and you did something super impulsive and now you're in trouble yet again why would you do that Right? We get to push some of that onto the character. We get to talk about it. And I'm not saying, ah, oh, you were impulsive. And so you get, you lose five hit points, right? That's, I, I didn't design this as a specific trap just for this particular player to try and catch them. It was something that was part of this very dangerous dungeon that everyone was exploring. And they and their character were impulsive around it. Um, and so we get to see this kind of, these, some of these kind of, natural consequences of existing in the world, but it's in this kind of safer space with this understanding that they know that their party members are going to help them regain consciousness. They know that everybody else at the table still cares about them, still wants them to succeed. So it becomes this really safe place to get to try out and work on these skills. Oftentimes when we're struggling with something, we don't want to tell people about it and we don't want to work on it in front of other people because when we're working on developing a skill, we're going to fail at that skill because that is part of the learning process. And so tabletop role-playing games can create this safe space. And then when we apply them therapeutically, we get these extra layers of safety and support around insight um, to help people develop skills in a place that feels comfortable and a place where they get to really exercise their autonomy. I didn't walk in and say, okay, you have problems with impulsivity. You really need to work on your impulsivity. That's all you get to work on this, this quarter. Oh, that's really amazing, though, because uh, you see like so many people who are very dedicated into everything they do. And um, I, I never imagined uh, that how imagination is very important during the, the games, really. Well, I mm -hmm. secretly shouldn't know about this, really, because I've done this. But it, it's uh, for teenagers, it's absolutely amazing to see. Mm -hmm. And it, it's it's wonderful, though, to see and hear something like this as well. And it should do. And, and I think. I wouldn't say it should, but I, I can imagine it will encourage uh, players to actually join whatever age they are. Yeah, I hope so. I hope that the message that people are getting from this is you should play tabletop role playing games. <laughs> oh, and then um, so I've got two final questions, but uh, I wanted to jump a little bit out of the charity because I'm I still got remember in my head that you suggested podcasts which podcasts would you recommend listening to for anyone is, who's new to role-playing games that is a great question um I really need to listen to more D&D podcasts to be totally honest um so I listened to Ack Inc that was where I got started Acquisitions Incorporated um like started at the very beginning that was several years ago 
Um, so that was one that I personally really enjoyed. Um, I have uh, this uh, psychology in Seattle podcast, Adam Davis and Adam Johns are actually on that podcast. They have some episodes where they're playing D&D. So I'd absolutely recommend that podcast as well. Um, in terms of podcasts that I've heard good things about, um, but I can't personally endorse Bard and Barbarian is one I've heard great things about and um, not another D&D podcast is another one I've heard great things about. There are tons of D&D podcasts, tons of D&D shows. I would highly recommend if you have um, uh, content creators that you really enjoy, you really like following, um, I, I, would, I would recommend looking into that. It's also important, depending on like who you are and who's listening to this, different D&D podcasts are going to have different ratings in terms of like how appropriate they are for children. So I would always make sure that you check kind of the content warnings around that. Um, but more, more podcasts and stuff are coming up every day. Uh, my partner, who is uh, our director of counseling services at Game to Grow, uh, look, uh, recently um, at everyone, the at everyone podcast, um, did a, a sh kind of short introduction to D&D where they just played through one adventure, which was something that was really fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, but I, I would I would look out at kind of your favorite content creators or some of your favorite podcasters and see if they have um, any kind of D&D related content or Pathfinder related content that they've played and enjoyed. Oh, I know there were a few people who um, follow podcasts already, and I wish I could name all of them, but I cannot remember uh, what's from the top of my head, really. But like you said before, Elizabeth, there are so many just to check out and just to listen to whenever it's possible. And then we're going to jump on board to one final question. Mm -hmm. And um, looking into the future, um, what are your and Game to, uh, Game to Grow's goals for the near future? That is a great question. Um, so our goals for the near future, currently we serve about 150 individuals every week in TRPG games, that is both uh, adolescents and adults, um, and we actually have expanded a lot of our services worldwide because we have we have shifted online for COVID. We will go back to doing some in person, um, but we will continue to have online access, so continue to, to see that. Um, Critical Core has just been released, which I kind of mentioned briefly before, is a um, like a kind of a starter kit for therapeutic applied role-playing games for parents, educators, and therapists. A huge thing that we're working on is really expanding our training program. So we have um, the ability to offer CEs um, for the, the American Psychological Association. So they've approved our organization. We maintain responsibility for everything that is within that program, within that content. Um, so we can that means we can offer psych uh, CEs for psychologists as well as um, other mental health professionals. So we have... Uh, we're working on continuing to expand that training program. So we have a certification track for mental health professionals. We have multiple trainings for educators and community members. We actually just rolled out the ability to attend that level one training for mental health professionals online. So previously we we're only offering that live. We still are offering that live. There's one in September, um, but we had a lot of individuals who were in the UK or were in Australia um, uh, uh, or in Southeast Asia. And so they were like waking up at horrible times in the morning or staying up until super late at night. So we went ahead and put the first level, there's three levels of training. So the other two are much more interactive and we're, we're currently still only offering those live. Um, but if you're interested in getting started, then those are great, great places to get, get started. I also wanna just plug our newsletter because we, we send out emails like once or twice a month. It's really just updates. Um, so that's a, a great place to like kind of continue to, to know about um, both those big trainings that we offer as well as kind of smaller one-shot kinds of trainings. 
Oh, that's really fantastic. So it sounds like um, the Games to Grow's future is definitely looking at a positive direction. And it's so amazing to see what they're going to plan to offer now. And uh, I know the two Adams are really working hard about this as well as you, Elizabeth. And um, it's it's really amazing just to see how development is going on. And I think this is what we really need in the near future, really, no matter part wherever you are in the world as well, because I, I don't know, really, but my mind is kind of like thinking people might want to interact a bit more, whether it's online and offline because of COVID, it's um, that the people just had like less opportunities to do that and they feel like absolutely. they want to do more really since what the whole of lockdowns happened absolutely and i will say that um it, it can also just be hard to make friends for anyone right when you're not in school when you're not physically in an office or maybe you're in an office with people that you don't particularly like it can be really hard sometimes to make friends we haven't focused on making friends in childhood, but it can be hard to make friends as an adult. And D&D is a great place where you can really get to know people um, without necessarily having to be just like super vulnerable and share your whole story um, or just get stuck on that like small talk that so many people find so frustrating. This is a way in which you can engage in a shared activity with other people and really get to know them, which can help build those friendships. And you don't have to become friends with the people you play D&D with, just like you don't have to become friends with the people you work with, but it can be a great place to get to know people, um, to get to explore some of those pieces without necessarily just focusing on that like weather and politics and world events kind of small talk. Oh, I, I know like the feeling really, because everyone needs an escapism really, and uh, it's just like what everyone needs right now really, but Game to Grow is definitely doing something amazing with this, and um, it, it's definitely something just to look out for, especially like you said um, in September, Elizabeth, because uh, funny enough, this episode is up um, right now, which is September, so it's oh, actually... Awesome. So it, it's um it's really wonderful to see that how the developments are really going and I'm keeping my double fingers crossed for you to see how everything goes in the future and that's all we have time for for the episode Elizabeth thank you so much for coming on today and uh, thank I you wish so you much for having me oh you're welcome and it's definitely always been a pleasure and I wish you and Adams <laughs> the two Adams the best of luck for the near future with Game to Grow and if you would like to know more information about Game to Grow um I will leave a link to the website in the description box down below and Elizabeth do you have any recommendations for links because I think you said before we started recording earlier that was the case yeah, so I will absolutely um, provide some links that you can add in the description box below. Um, but gametogrow.org is where you are going to find all of our stuff. I think our website is relatively well organized. If you disagree, let me know. Um, but gametogrow.org is where you can find everything. If you're interested in finding us on social media, um, at gametogrow, same with the website. Um, is where you can find us. You can also find more information about Critical Core there as well. If you're looking for me, I'm not particularly active on social media, but I do have a Twitter account that I share with my husband, who's also a psychologist, uh, who does this work as well. Um, so that's at Doctors Kilmers, Doctors spelled out, Kilmer is K-I-L-M-E-R. Um, and I am I will respond to people. I just am not particularly active. Uh, but Game um, Figure is really the best place to find us. 
Oh, oh yeah, because uh, sometimes social media, it can be like quite tricky, really. But it, it's absolutely amazing what you do. And I wish you very luck for the best of future of that, Elizabeth. And until then, guys, um, thank you so much for coming on to listen today. And I will be back next month for another episode. Take care of yourselves. Bye. <laughs>